Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. Well, good morning and Happy New Year to each of you. We want to say especially Happy New Year to those online. Thank you for sticking with us. We had some technical difficulties this morning, but we're able to to work through those. But we are glad that you have joined us today. Well, in the early 2000s, which we're learning is getting farther and further from from us, uh, there was a popular television show called Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Anybody remember that show? I heard some oh yeahs in there. Yeah, Ty Pennington, probably a few people said oh yeah, I run that too. But uh, Ty was a star through there. And uh, you couldn't get Chick-fil-A on Sunday, but you could get something wholesome on Sunday night because Extreme Makeover Home Edition was there on Sundays. Well, they came to Tulsa uh, during the first year that Jacqueline and I were married and actually chose one of the families in our youth group, the Starkweather family, and this was them here. Ethan, the youngest, had Prater-Willi syndrome. He never felt like he was full, and it was a dangerous uh, condition that they lived with, and so it was so exciting on the day that they were waiting to find out, were they chosen? Uh, we were walking the neighborhood, and because we lived in the same neighborhood, just three streets down, and they chose the Starkweather family, but more than that, Jacqueline and I's house became the respite home for Ethan during the filming of the show. So when Ethan would get worn out, they'd bring Ethan, who would uh, hang out with our, our dog, Moses, and uh, get recharged up, and then they'd go and film. So the Starkweathers got the chance to go to Disney World for the week while they redid their whole home, and right before they left, Amy, the mom, says, Josh, can you watch your five fish? Well, what am I going to say, Right? What they didn't know and what they should have asked was, do you have any experience watching fish? Because I had two fish in my life, and they didn't last two days. I killed them all night one. But what are you going to say when you're asked and the show's going on, will you watch five fish? So I said, yes. So I bring uh, over from their house this giant aquarium with five goldfish. And so I put them in there and my job's to take care of these five fish. So I go to bed the first night, I walk out and I look and there's not five living fish in there anymore. There's now one floating and there's only four fish. So I start counting. Four fish, four days. My track record is three fish. Killed three fish. It isn't looking good. So I go through. I think, what do I do? How do I do this? Well, there's not much you can do. It's just a fish, right? Apparently there is, but I don't know it. So I go to bed the next night. I wake up, and there is another fish floating. I've now killed two fish in two days, and I've got to keep three alive for three days. It's not looking good. Well, the Starkweathers can't have their cell phone for the time they're in Disney. ABC didn't leave me their phone number, so I'm literally just here with a shrinking set of fish wondering how we're going to make it through until Friday. So I go to bed the next night. I am praying. I am, like, praying down heaven for these fish to survive. So I walk out the next day. Nothing's happened. I kept a fish alive for the first time in my life. I didn't kill it. But sadly, I went to bed the next day. I got up and another fish was dead. I was down to two fish. Like 60% of the fish had died in three days. Well, the next day, no fish gratefully had died, but I only had two fish when the call came from a New Jersey number. I figured it was them. It was ABC. They're like, we need the fish now. We're about to move the bus. And I said, I need to tell you something. I killed three of the fish. 
And she said, I don't know what to tell you. Just bring him down. So I come walking through this thousands of people. There's the bus. You've got Cheryl Crow and Miranda Lambert on the bus. They're about to have a private concert with this family. And I'm walking through with the dead fish. And I get in. Well, not the, I threw away the dead fish. I'm walking through with the two live fish that are champions in the fish world, uh, heroes. And I get into the house. And I turn the corner into Ethan's room. And I go, oh, no. If you remember the show, they always chose one room to be the special room in the house. And they had chosen Ethan's room to be the special room in the house. And they decided that this room's specialty was going to be decorated with fish. So I see this aquarium, and there was tiger sharks in the aquarium. They got tiger sharks. And it got worse when I turned above the bed were fish bowls for the fish that I had killed. This was a picture of Ethan's room. This is what I walked into with this dead fish. And there are the fish bowls above. And I'm standing there with these two fish. And the Italian actor walked in and he said words that I can't repeat. And he said, why does it smell like dead fish in here? And the good Christian pastor I was, I lied. I said, I don't know, sir. He, they just told me to give these to you. And I ran out the door. And I ran all the way home. And I sat there and I told Jack, and I said, I just ruined the whole show. A couple hours later, Amy gave me a call. She said, hey, come see it. Come see the house. Oh, I've never seen this. You know, I look in and I walk up the fishbowl and I count. There are five living fish in there. I'm like, okay, well, that's good. They must have went and got more fish. They didn't say a word. I didn't say a word till about two weeks later. Amy said, Josh, I just got a question for you. Ethan, when we walked in the first day, he's like, I don't think those are my fish, mom. And she's like, oh, yes, honey, yes, honey, they're your fish. And so I confessed in a moment of my weakness what had happened. Do you know in the middle of that story, it was awful. It was awkward. It was terrible. It was horrible. There was no, nothing good that was going to come out of the middle of that story. Now it's one of my favorite stories to tell this far removed from it. But in the middle of that story, it was such a hard and terrible story to be in the middle of. And friends, as the calendar turns to 2023, today I wonder if there's a few people in here that when you think about your story, it feels pretty awkward. It feels pretty, you don't know what's going on. It feels pretty tough and pretty challenging. And you're having a hard time seeing how your story has a good ending. And if that's you today, then I think this is the word uh, for you today that we find in the book of Genesis. Now, we're going to cover a lot of ground today. Uh, about eight months ago, this sermon came to me so strongly, and I wrote it down. And to be honest, that's, this has been the sermon that I've been preaching to myself over the last eight months. The middle of your story. You're in the middle of your story. Well, Jacob is the grandson of Abraham, the son of Isaac. He was the youngest, but he was, became the eldest and had the birthright. He had two wives and 12 sons. His favorite wife was Rachel, and she bore him two sons in his old age, Joseph and Benjamin. And Joseph was the favored of Jacob. Joseph had dreams of his brothers, uh, of the sun and moon, uh, bowing down to him, and his brothers resented him for it. They said, well, we bow down to you. And Joseph's ten older brothers were in a far country tending the flocks when Jacob tells his son, Joseph, go and check and see how your brothers and the flocks are doing. Joseph listens to him, and he goes and he honors his father. But while a far way off, the brothers see Joseph, and they begin a discussion about killing him. 
and eliminating that favored dreamer. And one of the brothers named Reuben, that name always gets me excited around lunchtime, uh, my favorite uh, son of Joseph. Reuben, he comes up with a plan and he intervenes to save them. I mean, he has them thrown into a dry cistern. He planned to rescue them, but the brothers intervened before then. They take Joseph's robe, they dip it in blood, and they bring it back to Jacob. And that's where our story, we jump in the middle of the story today. That's in Genesis 37, 31 through 34. It says, Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. Jacob recognized it and said, It's my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. You know, they were clever in the sense they didn't say, Your son is dead. They didn't say, What happened to your son? They simply said to him and said, Examine this. And from that, in the middle of this story, Jacob comes to this conclusion My son Joseph is dead. You know, friends, sometimes it's hard to know the truth in the middle of your story. It's sometimes hard to know the truth. It's hard to know what facts are. This morning, I saw the fog had burned off now, but if if you weren't awake then, which I understand, it's New Year's Day, there was a dense fog this morning when you woke up. On the drive here, you couldn't really see that far in front of you. When a car did a U-turn in the road, like it was was a little scary because you couldn't see that far ahead of you. You couldn't see multiple stoplights down the road. You could only see right what was right in front of you. Now, when it comes to war, and even uh, board games pick up on this, they call it the fog of war. The fog of war. It's much easier to write a book about World War II that happened and has been completed than it is to write a book about the Ukraine-Russia war because you're still in the middle of it. You don't fully know all the facts of what is happening because when you're in the middle of something, we don't always see it. Now, in board games, they pick up on this, right? If the red is your pieces, you can't see the white that is the opponent's pieces because it's the fog that creates the uncertainty. But in the middle of your story, that fog makes it really hard and difficult. I was with somebody this week who's in the middle of a very, very tough story. 2022 has been an extremely hard year. And somebody asked the question, kind of like, what's your resolutions? What are you looking forward to in 2023? And she just couldn't engage with it because it's so intense right now that she can't see five steps down the road. She's just trying to make it through today. And when you're in the middle of the fog, you can't see what's ahead. You're just trying to live off the manna for today. When you're finding are struggling in the moment you're just trying to live to make it to the next day and sometimes in the middle of our story we have to understand that truth is really hard to figure out it's hard to figure out which way is up or which way is down and then we start to live in either the past or in the present let's see this for Jacob or the past or the, or the future verse 35 all his sons and daughters comforted came to comfort him But Jacob refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. And so his father wept for him. Living amongst something where truth is a a lie. They told him a lie that he believed was his truth. And he says, I will go and mourn until I join my son in the grave. 
I want to encourage you today, if you're in the middle of your story, sometimes our words about the future, we say, this won't change. Nothing is going to be different. My person I love will always be like this. I can't hear from the Lord. I'll never know his plan. And we start saying these big statements about our future. It always turns out like this. We make these statements about our future that aren't true. Friends, I think we're invited back to the present instead of making these big declarative statements about our future. And this happened even in Luke chapter 24 on the first Easter, on the road to Emmaus. There were two who were walking to Emmaus. They had seen Jesus die and they couldn't figure out what had happened and the rumors about Jesus rising from the dead, but they couldn't believe it. Truth was really hard in that moment for them to comprehend. And here they say a statement. They said, but we had hoped that Jesus was the one who was going to redeem Israel. You hear that past tense. Well, we're trying to understand our story, but we're in the fog. We had hoped he was the Messiah. We had hoped it, but he apparently wasn't because they couldn't understand it and to see it. And the encouragement today, if you're in the middle of your story, is that to be careful to look too far backward or too far forward to simply say, God, you are present here with me in this moment. I don't understand what's going on. I can't see my future. I can't understand my past. And I really don't understand what's happening in my present. But God, would you meet me here? Joseph then is sold in verse 36. It says, Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Joseph is completely put in a situation that is out of his control. He was simply trying to honor his father and go check on the state of his brothers and his flock when he has this happen to him. The New York Times in uh, November, they put out a, a magazine and it's called, We Live in the Age of Destruction, which means we live in an age of rebuilding. Listen to the opening paragraph from this. The era we are now are in is the midst of what might be defined most notably by the omnipresence of disaster. Plagues, droughts, floods, toxic air and water, wars, massacres, famines, earthquakes, heat waves, uh, wildfires, recessions, dust storms, slow-moving nightmares are crashing in a fast-moving catastrophe, each one amplifying the next. There's this sense that we live in an age of which so much is out of our control. They did a big study of Americans. They've been doing this for decades, of which they asked the question, do you believe that the country will be better for your children than it was for you? And for every um, generation when they started this, decades passed, they believed that, that it would, the country would be better for their children than it was for them, except today. The first time it's flipped that people actually believe the country will be worse off for their children and grandchildren than it is for them today. Those are some big things that in the land, optimism is low and we feel like there's these big forces at work that are beyond our control. And so for Joseph, he too feels out of control, sold to the Midianites. He had no say over who he'd be sold to, where he'd be taken, what his life would be like. He is completely out of control. But even in the middle of that place, God was in control. And friends, today, even when you're in the middle of the fog that you can't see the way the story's going to turn out, God is in control 
few years back I was in Pasadena for a conference we were at Fuller Seminary and there were some staff people who traveled here and, and uh, one uh, lay person who traveled there and I loved tuna I loved su- or I should say I loved tuna I loved sushi but after this time when I ate it I felt something change I started to look like uh, in Hitch when he breaks out with histamine. I'm like, my ear is changing and I feel like something's happening and it's not good. So I went to urgent care. The lady saw me and her eyes got big and she wrote me a note and she said, take this to the ER, they'll get you right in. I was having a reaction of some sort. So I went to the ER, I gave them the note, feeling empowered, and they said, thank you, you may have a seat. I'm like, wait a minute, you're supposed to get me back. So I wait in the seat. I go in the bathroom. There's no white in my eye. It's this otherworldly red and it looks awful heart rate is through the roof and I think wow this is not good I felt very much out of control but do you know being 2,500 miles away the one lay person we brought from our church was Shauna Damon whose husband is one of the leading allergy doctors in Louisville at the time now just took a position with Vanderbilt University in Nashville so before I'd even seen a doctor we'd already talked to a doctor who said this is what you need to do and was looking out for my good. In the hospital, they took me back to a room, and I'm like, good, I'm gonna finally see someone, because this is really uncomfortable, and feels very scary. And I said, am I gonna see a doctor? They said, no, we just thought this would be more comfortable waiting to see the doctor. Well, great. So a few hours later, I still hadn't made it to the ER. I felt the blood start to drain from me and start to return to normal. But even in that place out of my control, God had already was in control and had already put the person who needed to be there to help me in my moment of need. And friends, God does that in our story too. You may feel completely out of control in your story, but God can go before you and put the exact person, the exact people who need to be around. God knows what God is doing. You may feel out of control, but the one you serve today is not out of control. And he is able even toward Joseph who sold to Egypt to go before him and to prepare a great work for him to do. Adele was sharing from an orphanage, uh, from her devotional she was reading this week about an orphanage in England uh, back in, I believe, in the 1800s. And they woke up that morning and they had no food for that morning. And the pastor there, he prayed and he said, we are going to thank God that he's going to meet our needs. So they began to pray and thank God for meeting their needs of not having food and not having milk. Shortly thereafter, there was a knock at the door and it was the baker. And he said, God told me last night Put, put this urgency that I needed to bake all night for you all. Here's the bread. And then a few minutes later, there was a knock at the door, and it was the local milkman. And his van, well, so it wasn't 1800s, it would be 1900s, his van had broken down right next to the orphanage, and he had to offload all his milk before it spoiled. And so here they woke up feeling very out of control, but God was completely in control. And God was completely in control of Joseph's story, He now was sold to Potiphar, the captain of the guard. And the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And he prospers and is promoted. But he's also well built and handsome. And that attracts the attention of Potiphar's wife. Who says, come and sleep with me. Now, Joseph was far removed from his people. He could have said, I'm far removed from my God. But he remains faithful. And for his faithfulness, he pays a price that we see in verse uh, 19 of chapter 39. When his master heard the story of his wife, told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. 
Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. What a remarkable turn of events. He moves from one place of service to a a, a more restricted place. But yet we see the truth that God's favor can abound even in the places you are locked up. Joseph finds himself in a place he did not choose. He didn't sin in the matter. He was faithful to God, but yet it feels like his story keeps getting more difficult and more uh, and, and worse. Wouldn't we expected him to be rewarded for his faith? But in the middle of your story, you don't always know what's going on, and here it looks even more dire for him. I think of Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ whose role was to take and to preach the gospel, well, he constantly found himself locked up. That doesn't make much sense to me. Wouldn't we want the apostle to be released to go from town to town and continue to spread the message? But he writes from jail in Philippians 1, verse 12. He says this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. That doesn't make sense to our logical minds but God in the places where he is in control knows how to advance the gospel even in ways and through ways that we would say seems crazy but even in prison God's favor confined Joseph prisons are not wasted by God the prison was preparation for Joseph for the palace God was teaching Joseph through difficult circumstances what he needed in order to run Egypt he couldn't escape the education that he was getting from the Lord remember as a kid thinking I didn't sign up to go to school why are you telling me I have to go to school why are you telling me I have to be educated I didn't come up with that law and sometimes we are forced into a place where we are taught Lessons we would rather not learn. And the question is, will we be open to learning what God is teaching us in those seasons and moments of the prisons that we would rather not be? Not, rather not be? God's favor is seen in the prison, but it's still the prison. It's still not easy. Joseph later calls it a dungeon. And two servants of Pharaoh, the baker and the cupbearer, are thrown into the same prison and have dreams. Joseph interprets their dreams and they come to pass. For the baker, it's not so good news. He, is, he dies like that fish and uh, goes on from there. For the cupbearer, though, he will be restored. And Joseph gives him this admonition in verses 14 and verse 15 of chapter 40. Joseph pleads with him, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here, I've done nothing to deserve being put into a dungeon. What a moment for Joseph. It's been 11 years since he's been sold to the Midianites. He was 17 years old when he was sold, so now he is 28 years old. 40% of his life has been spent on this journey that he didn't sign up for in very difficult and challenging places, trying to see beyond the fog, and it just feels like it is completely on him, and you can hear that tension in his voice, 
perhaps this is a way that I now can finally get out. But in verse 23, we see the follow-up. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. He forgot him. And Joseph sits in that prison for another two years. R.U. Darby was one of the leading insurance salesmen uh, in the country, and he told the story about when he was uh, younger in life, his uncle went to the Colorado Gold Rush uh, back when that occurred, and his uncle was prospecting for gold. He found some gold. They sent it to a smelter who said, no, this is actually uh, a significant find that you have. So the uncle went back to Maryland, and he recruited his nephew, R.U. Darby, and they took loans out from friends and family to go and work this uh, uh, um, to work this vein of the Colorado gold rush. And so they went and they harvested out some of the gold and it was looking very promising, but suddenly they could no longer find the gold. And so they dug and they dug and they went here and there and they could not find it and they kept on looking and they could not find it to the point they finally just gave up. Despite owing a lot of people a lot of money, they thought it was better and they gave up. So a junk man came by and they sold them all the equipment and they sold them the property and they went back home to begin their jobs to pay off their debts. Well, the junk man thought this was a strange story. So what he did was he went and he hired a mining engineer and he brought the mining engineer out to look at where they had dug and all that had looked. And when he did, he came to this pretty startling conclusion. The Darbys had stopped three feet from gold. And it became one of the largest um, um, mines, one of the largest uh, uh, gold um, that they collected in the whole Colorado gold rush. The junk man made millions off of that because the Darby stopped three feet from gold. And friends, when you are in the middle of your story, in the middle of your fog, and you don't see how God is going to work in your family or work in your marriage or work in your job or work in your relationships, you, it's so tempting just to give up. But giving up is our greatest danger. And it's sometimes not this dramatic like, I'm out, I quit, I'm done. Gallup Research has been tracking something in 2022 they, they called the, the quiet quit. The quiet quit. Of which they estimate that well over 50% of Americans have quiet quit in their work. Yes, they still show up and they do the minimum required, but they've disengaged emotionally or from going above and beyond. They're just, they're out. They're collecting the paycheck, they're showing up, but a mass quit, a quiet quit. Some of you today, because it's tough, you may have quiet quit from your work, but you may have quiet quit from your marriage. You're still there. There's not open hostility, but you're just emotionally not engaged anymore. Or quiet quit from your family. It's just so hard, and the kids, they'll be fine. They're on their own. I've just disengaged, not blown it up. I've just quiet quit. Or I've quiet quit from my church. It became easy during the pandemic to get separated. And so I, didn't, I don't really have an issue with the church. I'm not upset with it, but I've just disengaged. I just quiet quit. Or maybe you say today, because in the middle of the fog, I, I've quiet quit from God. I really don't pray or I'm not really actively seeking to grow in my faith. I'm not really even sharing my struggles with the Lord. I've just, I'm still a Christian. I, I will always be that, but I'm not really engaging with the Lord. I've quiet quit. 
Maybe today you would say, even I've quiet quit on myself, on my dreams, on my hope. It just doesn't feel practical anymore. And I've just detached from myself, from my emotions. And quiet quit is such a real danger because it puts us in this perpetual wilderness that we're never going toward the places God has called us to go. And yet we're not even going back as the children of Israel found out in the wilderness when they went around the same mountain for this 40 years. They just kind of quiet quit as the Lord tried to get Egypt out of them. As we move into a new year, my question would be, have you, have you quit today? Have you given up today? Does it feel like the load's too heavy today? You can't see and you're just like, I'm done and I'm out. Paul writes in Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I think there's a message that many of us, maybe all of us need to say that in 2023, we don't know there's a lot that's out of our control. But one thing we can do is keeping our eyes uh, on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we will not give up three feet from gold. Joseph remains in prison another two years of his life. Two years in a difficult place. Two years in a tough situation, but suddenly, out of nowhere, the time came. And there is a moment, a God-ordained time in our lives to see his hand move us to places that he has prepared us for. Pharaoh has a dream, and it's a troubling dream, and his interpreters cannot interpret him. And there in that place, the cupbearer remembers Joseph finally he confesses his fault to Pharaoh who calls for Joseph and he is clean shaven and he's, he is put into new clothes befitting the man of such character. And he comes before Pharaoh and God gives him the interpretation of his dream. And Pharaoh says, where can we find a man like Joseph? And so then Pharaoh, so then Pharaoh makes him second command in Egypt. Joseph, who was the favorite in his family, learned in Potiphar's house how to be second in command, who learned in the prison how to be second in command, and now he becomes second in command for all of Egypt. For seven years, there was great abundance, and he marries in that place, and he names his first son Manasseh. It is because God has made me forget all my troubles and all my father's household, he says. I think in that place he feels like I will never see my family again and so God has given me this son that has made me forget even my father's household. And then God gives him a second son, Ephraim, who says this, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And in the second year of the famine, it gets so severe that Jacob has to send his 10 older brothers back. The story goes on that you can find in Genesis chapter 40, uh, 40 to 46 there. But Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers and says, I am your brother. Do not be angry with yourself for God has sent me ahead of you to save life. Is my father still alive? And there he goes and he calls for Jacob and Jacob comes to him and we see this dramatic encounter of their meeting in chapter 46, verse 28 through 30. It says, now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. And when they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. 
And as soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Israel, also Jacob, said to Joseph, Now I am ready to die, since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. What a powerful, incredible moment there. When you think that that had been 22 years since Jacob had last seen his son Joseph. Friends, the joy and power of the ending of a story can only be fully known through the toil and struggle of the middle of your story. We don't like the middle of the story. We want to binge watch the whole season in one day so we figure out what happens at the end. We like listening to our audiobooks at 1.2 or 1.5 speed so we can get to the end. Like, we don't like the middle. We want to get through the middle to get to the end. It's true, Mason. And it's so true that in our lives, we always are trying to get through to the end. But some of God's best work in our heart and in our life happens in the middle of your story. God isn't in a hurry to get us through because he is preparing us for the plan and path that he has for us. The parents who waited and fought a quiet battle to conceive and then they hold their baby, you can only know the joy and the power of that when you understand their toil and their struggle. We all want those quick wins, but God's best work is done in the middle of it. Wasim Muhammad is now 44. He was born in Jordan to a Jordanian father and an Egyptian mother. The Jordanian father and mother had their difficulties, and the Jordanian father was afraid that she was going to take her son, his son back, their son, back to Egypt. So the son, when he was a baby, had to go into the hospital, and the Jordanian father told the mom, your son died. It was a lie. Wisdom was still alive. The mom went back to Egypt and lived for 44 years believing that her son was dead. Wissam lived for 20 years thinking that his mom was dead, but when his father died, some family members finally told him the truth. Well, he only had her name, and he would go to Egypt, and he would search for her and never could find her. Well, a few, uh, this past year, past year, 2022, they found a picture of her mom. And so Wissam found this Facebook group in Egypt for missing children and posted this in that Facebook group. And within 24 hours, his mom was found. In early December of 2022, they were finally reunited after 44 years with her believing that her son was dead. This Facebook group in Egypt has reunited now over 3,000 children with their missing families. It's a remarkable story about uh, reunited. You can't know the joy and power of this picture without understanding the toil and the struggle that Wisdom has gone through to find his mom. Friends, this year, if you find yourself in the middle of a story or in the middle of something that is hard, don't quit, but recognize that the work of God is in process. To reach the ending God has, you may have to stay in the middle, and it may be longer than you want, but you are just in the middle of your story. Paul writes from prison again in Philippians 1.6, he said, being confident of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to its completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That every Sunday we gather in here, we see the cross, we see the work that God can do in the middle of a story through suffering and through pain, but can bring a, a resurrection in your life as he brought a resurrection in Jesus' life. Don't give up this year no matter how difficult the, in, the middle of your story is. Would you join me in prayer? Well, gracious God, we come to you today in the middle of our story, and I pray for everyone today who feels like they are in a fog and they can't see what's coming. They don't understand where they've been, but they find themselves in a place they would rather not be. Would you come and meet with us today? I pray today, Lord, that you would give us strength where we are weak, that you give us encouragement where we are discouraged, that you would give us faith where we have doubt, and that, Lord, that this year, through your help and through your strength and by your spirit, that we would not give up. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.